welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, Cub Grace. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Please join me for the reading of the word in John 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after, he, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was, call, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up and quickly went out, followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stretch, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Happy Easter, Covenant Grace. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Easter is about Jesus's resurrection. On this day in 33 AD, Jesus, who had been dead for three days, came back to physical life. The resurrection of Jesus isn't just a religious belief that you have to take on faith. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact, attested to by eyewitnesses, um, recorded in historical testimony. It is as well attested a fact uh, for anything in that time period. The historical fact of the resurrection is our way of making sense out of three things we know for sure. We know for sure that Jesus on a Friday died on a Roman cross. We know that secondly, that he was sealed in a tomb and his tomb was found empty on Sunday. And then third, we know that for the next 40 days, People claim to have encountered him alive and well. And so the best explanation for those three pieces of data is that Jesus really did come back to physical life. Of course, that's a tough pill for many to swallow. So throughout the centuries, people have tried to explain away the evidences for the resurrection. And before I get into our text this morning, I'd like to just run through really quickly some common objections for the resurrection and just show you why you should believe in the resurrection. And I know that I'm kind of launching right in with this message. I didn't have like kind of an intro or anything. We're just getting right to it. But hey, um, that works. So the first one would be some people say, well, what if Jesus didn't really die? He just looked dead and later was revived. The problem with this theory, and this is a common one in Islam, is that Roman soldiers knew how to kill people. And that's what they did for a living. They were professional killers and they actually stabbed him in the chest to make sure that he was dead. And to think of him somehow reviving and not really being dead, but getting revived after three days being in a tomb and somehow he could walk around town convincing people that he had conquered death seems very, very not likely at all, right? He would look like death. He would need an ICU at that point. Uh, other people say, well, maybe the witnesses just went to the wrong tomb or someone stole the body. And that's possible, except the empty tomb isn't the only proof that we have. 
We have the testimony of hundreds of people who claim to interact with him physically over a 40-day period. Perhaps, um, you know, some, some would say, well, you know, perhaps people just thought that they saw him alive. They were so sad about Jesus dying that maybe they just imagined him being alive. So those testimonies were actually just of their imagination. But guys, people that lived back then, they knew about stuff like visions and hallucinations. They knew those things happened and they didn't trust their eyes. They actually touched him and ate with him. They met with Jesus in big groups. Paul speaks of one occasion where um, there were more than 500 believers gathered in one place with Jesus while he was alive after the resurrection. Now, people can have hallucinations, but people don't have the exact same hallucinations synchronized together, do they? Another objection people have is they say, well, you know, people back then, they were just simpler and they just believed in resurrections and stuff like that. And they didn't demand a whole lot of proof. Um, but that's not true. They didn't just believe in resurrections back then. Uh, the Jews believed in one big resurrection, uh, but not individuals being resurrected. And the Greeks, they hated the idea of a physical resurrection. They believed the body was a bad thing. They wanted to avoid it. So people didn't just believe in things like this back then. Um, both groups of people would have had good reasons not to believe in the resurrection. They just had doubts for different reasons. But it's because he actually appeared to people that they believed in it. And guys, to suggest somehow that people that lived a long time ago were somehow less intelligent than us or more gullible, um, it's pretty arrogant, isn't it? We tend to be arrogant towards ancient people. That's what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery which is the idea that the people that lived a long time ago were just simpler and they just believed in things that weren't um, likely. You know, people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Seneca, right? Like those kind of people. And we tend to look down on people like that because they lived a long time ago. But there's no reason to believe that we're any smarter than they were. And they had their own doubts just for different reasons. Or you might say, well, maybe the disciples just made the whole thing up and intentionally deceived everyone. But the problem with that idea is that almost all the apostles were brutally killed because they refused to recant the testimony that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. And people often die for a lie, but people don't die for a lie that they know is a lie, right? And what did they have to gain? The first couple hundreds of years of Christianity was just brutal, brutal uh, persecution. The best evidence for the historical data is that Jesus really did come back to physical life. And so what happened? Well, on a Friday, Jesus was whipped. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross. The soldiers pierced his side to make sure he was dead. They took down his body that Friday. Um, they put it in a tomb, in a guarded tomb. And in that tomb, his body got cold. His color left him. Uh, rigor mortis set in. Uh, his blood clotted within his uh, major vessels. His eyes sank in. He's a normal dead body. And he was dead all day and all night Saturday. And then sometimes Sunday, his heart began to beat. The blood began to swirl again in his veins. His color began to return. His body began to warm. He gasped his first breath in days. He blinked. He got up. He probably stretched. And then it says that he folded his grave cloths, which I think is really great. He folded those up and then he strolled right out of the grave. Jesus left an empty grave, and if you believe in him, you will leave an empty grave as well. Jesus has the cure to death. And you might ask, well, why did we have Vanessa read the passage that we had her read this morning, this John 11, the raising of Lazarus? And the reason why I picked that passage for this morning is that 
we live in the same kind of time that Mary and Martha did. We live like they did in a painful week before Jesus raises the dead. We live in that time period before um, we'll be raised. We live in a time of sickness and suffering and death and loss. Ever since the first people sinned against God, the world has been filled with sickness and suffering and death. And it attacks not just uh, people who disregard God, but it attacks Jesus' own friends, as it did in this passage. Lazarus got sick. He was dying. Mary and Martha did the right thing. They asked Jesus to come and to heal Lazarus. But Jesus didn't come and didn't heal him. And Lazarus suffered and he died. And their faith, guys, was tested to the greatest possible extent. There were all kinds of questions and doubts in their minds. If you look at verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing in verse 32. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then in verse 36, some of the friends who were mourning with them, when they saw Jesus come and weep at the tomb, they said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? These are the questions that we ask when God allows suffering into our lives, aren't they? And these were the questions that even ancient atheists, the Epicureans, asked. These were the questions they asked. They lived hundreds of years before Jesus. Um, They were a type of uh, ancient atheism. And they believed that suffering made a belief in God impossible. At least a God that was all-powerful and all-loving. They said either God has the power to remove suffering, but he doesn't want to, so he's not loving. Or God is loving and he wants to remove suffering, but he can't, so he's not all-powerful. According to them, God can't be all-powerful and all-loving and yet allow us to suffer. And so they rejected the idea of God altogether. And instead, they lived for material pleasures of the moment. They just said, you know, this is all there is. We should live it up, live up the material pleasures of the moment. Does that sound familiar? Our culture, guys, is very Epicurean. It's funny. We think we're so modern, like we developed something so new, and it's 2,300 years old. So, And the Bible doesn't give us, guys, um, quick, easy answers to the problem of suffering. Instead, the Bible shows us Jesus. God's answer to suffering is a person, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we see three qualities that we need to believe in to trust God through suffering. We need to trust God's love. We need to trust God's wisdom. And we need to trust his power that he's in control. If you could write those down, I think it'd be very helpful for you probably the rest of your life. You need to trust God's love. You need to trust his wisdom and trust his power. Those are the three parts to trusting God through suffering. And let's see in John 11 here, let's see if all these qualities Um, and and how they existed in Jesus in this passage. Let's see if, as we look at Jesus in John 11, if we can see him as the kind of God that we could trust his love, his power, and his wisdom. First, let's look at his love. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The text is clear about that throughout. And Jesus didn't let Lazarus die because he didn't love them. In verse 3, the sisters call Lazarus, he whom Jesus loved. In verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That way we can be really clear about it, right? But then, in their greatest hour of need, Jesus doesn't come. He lets Lazarus die. Jesus had just healed a blind man that he didn't even know. And now he's not healing his friend. What gives? And it, but it's not guys like Jesus is dispassionate about their suffering either. He's both angry and saddened by their suffering. Take a look at verse 33. Jesus was angry at the suffering. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. And he said, 
Where have you laid him? And they said, come, Lord, and see. Now that word there for deeply moved, that word actually means indignant. The translators here are being a little bit wimpy with the word that they picked. That word for deeply moved means indignant. Jesus is angry. Let me just ask you this. Have you ever been infuriated with the suffering in the world? So is Jesus. He is in this passage. So Jesus was angry at the suffering. Jesus was also sad. Look at verse 35. It says, Jesus wept. Even though he knows he will shortly raise Lazarus from the dead. And this is an important point because even though God knows his sovereign plan from beginning to end, he's still affected by our pain. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 56, 8 says, You have kept my tossings. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? I love that imagery. That he keeps count of our tossing. You think about when you're in bed and you can't sleep and you're tossing back and forth. He keeps count of that. And he says he puts our tears in a bottle. Not literally, but that's a beautiful image of how God cares for our suffering. And then he says, are they not in your book? That he has a record of our suffering. He knows it and he cares. Psalms uh, 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so we know that Lazarus, as he was dying, did not die without God there, without the Lord there, without the Lord being present. God, precious in the sight of uh, the Lord is the death of his saints. Jesus loved them, and yet he let Lazarus die. And it's actually even more complicated than that. You really should look at this. Look at verse 5, verse 5 and 6. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then what's the next word? So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Did you catch how that seems strange? Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That intentional delay cost Lazarus his life. Verse 5 and 6 say that Jesus' love for Martha and Mary and Lazarus moved him to let Lazarus die. You might be tempted to kind of downplay the suffering of these people because kind of we know the story, right? So you might say something like, well, it's not really a big deal because Jesus is going to raise Lazarus at the end of the chapter anyway. But realize, guys, that they don't know that, right? They don't know that. They're suffering. They don't know that he's going to get raised um, at the end of this chapter. Like, they don't know that in a few days he'll be raised. And also, guys, Lazarus still had to die a real death, right? And his sisters had to endure the anguish of waiting for Jesus and the despair of watching Lazarus die and the great disappointment that would have happened over those days. And John says, though, that Jesus did this because, so, he did this because he loved them. You might say, like, well, what kind of love is this, right? And I say, this is kind of a strange love. I'm not sure I want this. But let's back up here, guys, for a second. What's the most loving thing God can give us in any circumstance? What's the most loving thing God can give us in any circumstance? You know what the answer to the Epicureans would have been? They didn't believe that there was any kind of life after this one. They believed that the highest goal in life was to be happy and content in the here and now. And because of that, they believed that this was all there was, right? So live it up, right? If you lose anything in this life, there's really no good reason for that, right? Our culture, guys, is very Epicurean in that sense. We tend to think that the most loving thing God can do in any circumstance is give us physical prosperity, health, wealth, long life, ease, pleasure, right? Does that sound familiar? 
So we're hardwired not to believe the answer that Jesus gives here. So, so what's the answer? What's the most loving thing God can give us in any circumstance? And this text gives us a couple of hints. It says that he let Lazarus die because he loved him. And then he gives two reasons. Oh, the first one is to show them his glory. Look at verse four. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So the most, one of the most loving things he can give us in any circumstance is his glory. He wants to share with us his glory. Secondly is our, for our faith, for belief. Look at verse 14. Lazarus had died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus wanted to strengthen their faith, strengthen their belief, strengthen their trust in him. Guys, the most loving thing God can give us in any circumstance is not necessarily physical health or prosperity. The most loving thing God can give us in any circumstance is himself, right? The most loving thing God can give us in any circumstance is himself. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Guys, the most loving thing God can give us in any circumstance isn't necessarily physical health or prosperity. It's himself. It's belief. You know, he wants to give us more belief, more faith, more trust in him. He wants to shape our souls so that we can delight in the glory of Christ even more than anything in this world. He wants to give us his glory. He wants to give us unending access to himself. And only God knows how best to give us that ultimately good, that ultimate good himself. And that kind of moves us to the second point. We need to trust in in God's love for us. We also need to trust in God's wisdom. Trust that God is wise. Trust that God knows best how to give us the ultimate eternal good, right? He's the one that has the wisdom. And often this involves suffering. Often the best way for him to give us himself is through suffering. I texted a bunch of you guys um, yesterday and uh, gave you this text of like, Jesus truly became real to me when, and left a blank spot. I said, fill this in. Jesus truly became real to me when, and then I asked for a life event. Life event when Jesus became truly real to you. And I had a wide variety of responses. Some were happy, you know, when I got married, when I had kids, things like that, right? Happy events. But many of them were suffering. Jesus truly became real to me when my marriage ended. Jesus became truly real to me when I suffered depression or was suicidal. Jesus became truly real to me when my father died. Jesus became truly real to me when I was desperately sick, when my daughter was born with a collapsed lung, when I massively failed to live up to my own moral standards and had had a collapse around that. Jesus became truly real to me when I was in a horrible car accident or when I hit bottom in my addiction. Those are the kind of answers I got, right? So that makes it very clear that Jesus can become most real to us in our suffering, right? The best way to make Jesus real to Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples on that day was to let Lazarus die. And that's how to make sense out of verses five through six. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer where he was. Have you guys ever considered, have you ever considered that your suffering is Jesus wisely loving you? And you need to ask that question. Have you considered that your suffering is actually Jesus wisely loving you? That was something that the Epicureans missed. I mean, they could not believe that there could be an eternal good that was worth experiencing earthly suffering. 
So they, they didn't believe that there was any eternal good that could be worth any earthly suffering. And we make the same mistake too, don't we? I mean, we tend to think like, you know what? If I can't imagine a purpose God has for this suffering, then there must not be one, right? You know, if I can't imagine a purpose for this suffering, then God must not have one, right? Have you ever thought that way? It's kind of strange when you break it down, right? Like God is wiser than me. Of course he could have a reason for this that I don't know what it is, right? If God is big enough to control our suffering, then he must also be big enough to have reasons for allowing it that we can't yet understand, right? If God is big enough to control our suffering, he must be big enough to have reasons for allowing it that we can't yet understand, right? He's much wiser than us. And we see God's wise use of suffering ultimately at the cross. On that dark Friday, the disciples watched their best friend die, and they had no idea how it could possibly be for their good. But it was, right? It was the greatest act of love in history. That was God's wisdom on display. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how much suffering he needs to use. He knows exactly the cost of it. And he knows exactly how to bring all things together for our good. He knew that the only way to solve our sin problem was the cross. We're sinners. We don't deserve to live forever with him in his world made new. And Jesus suffered on the cross to pay for our sin and end all our suffering. And that's true for you if you trust in him. Do you trust in him? Do you trust in him for the removal of all your sin? Do you trust in him to make all things new for you when he returns? Look at verse 25. It ends with a question, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said this, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he ends it this way. Do you believe this? Do you? Do you believe this? To trust God in suffering, we have to believe in his love, in his wisdom, and then lastly, in his power. Behold the power of Jesus, guys. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you've sent me. And when he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Guys, this wasn't merely a healing. He'd done a lot of those. This wasn't merely a, a, a resuscitation, which, you know, paramedic might do. This was a resurrection. Lazarus was dead for four days, and there was a commonly held belief at that time that the, the soul could hover over a dead person for three days and then leave. And when the soul left, then it was, all hope was lost, right? But if, if it was before then, the soul might come back in. <laughs> Guys, all hope was lost. When all hope was lost, all of a sudden, the power of Jesus and all their grief was undone. All hope was lost and all of a sudden, by the power of Jesus, all their grief was undone. It was undone. 
And you might be tempted to say something like, and this is something I would think, well, that's great for them, but what about us, right? <laughs> Guys, if you trust in Christ, your grief will become undone too. In the resurrection. What's a resurrection? A resurrection is not simply where you go after you die. Okay, a lot of times people think of it that way. That's not what resurrection is. It's not where you go after you die. You do go to heaven. If you're a believer, you go to heaven, but that's not resurrection. Resurrection is not simply life after death, right? Resurrection is life after your life after death, okay? It's what comes next. Resurrection is what happens when Christ returns at the end. When Christ returns at the end, resurrection is the reversal of physical death, Something will happen to you if you're trusting in Jesus. Something will happen to you just like what happened to Jesus on Easter. If you trust in Christ, your body will return to physical life and you will live with him on an earth made new forever. Okay, let me repeat that. It's really good news. If you trust in Christ, your body will return to physical life and live on with him in his presence on an earth made new forever. Lazarus had to wait four days to be resurrected. I might have to wait four years. I might have to wait 40 years. I might have to wait 400 years for my resurrection. But one day my death is going to be undone. And if you trust in Jesus, yours will too. Let me just give you three ways that your resurrection is like Lazarus's resurrection. Or, or to put it better, let's look at three ways that Lazarus's resurrection points to ours. First, we'll be resurrected by Jesus. Notice that Jesus himself personally called Lazarus out of the grave. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus personally called him out of the grave, right? One day Jesus will personally call you out of the grave. John 5, 28 says this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Isn't that amazing? He's going to come and he's going to call you out. Call you out of the grave. Make your body new. Raise you to eternal life, right? It's gonna be like a parent waking his child up for breakfast in the morning. It'll be like, time to rise and shine. Come on, time to get up, time to get up. We'll be resurrected together. That's another way that his, uh, Lazarus's resurrection points to ours. We're gonna be resurrected together. Imagine the reunion, guys, of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. I mean, all the dreams, all the plans that they had were now possible again. We're gonna be reunited too. We'll be gathered together with each other, with Jesus. And we'll remember each other and we'll live on together. And we're going to pick up right where we left off. And some of you have spouses and friends and kids and parents and that know the Lord, that have, have gone to be with the Lord and they're in heaven right now. And at the resurrection, though, they're going to receive their resurrected bodies and you're going to receive yours too. And we're going to just pick up where we left off. Pick up where we left off. We're going to lose nothing to death, guys. And then thirdly, we're going to be resurrected and unbound. Okay, look at verse 44. Um, Jesus said about Lazarus, unbind him and let him go. We're going to be unbound in our newly raised bodies. We're going to be unbound from sin. We're going to be unbound from sickness. We're going to be unbound from aging. We're going to be unbound from death. We're going to have bodies that can't die. Lazarus's resurrection body wasn't permanent, right? He had to die again. Poor guy had to die twice. His life was still just as fragile as it was before. But guys, our resurrected bodies and his, his next one, will be unbound. We're going to be unbound. We're going to be undying, unaging, unaching. I don't know if these are real words. 
unanxious, unsinning. <laughs> we're going to be unbound. And best of all, we're going to be unbound in fellowship with the God who gave his life to forgive us and make us new. Can you imagine what that's going to be like, to be unbound in our fellowship with our God? Mary and Martha had a week of anguish in that time when Lazarus was sick, and then after he had died, they didn't know what was coming, right? They didn't know what was coming at the end of the week. That's the week we live in too, guys. We live in that week where there's sickness and there's death. It's time before resurrection. But we know, guys, that Jesus has already suffered and suffering. And we know that he's already been raised to give us his resurrection. So let me end with this question again. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we do believe this. We believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that whoever believes in him, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Lord, help us to live like we believe that, Lord. We believe, help our unbelief, and also, Lord, help us to live up to the belief we do have. Help us to live as Christians, resurrection people, not Epicureans like our culture. Help us to embrace any suffering that you know we need. Help us to value eternity more than this life. Help us to know that you love us and that you're wiser than us and that you're in control of all things. Lord, help us to stay strong knowing that people like us don't really die. We rise again. Lord, do this and more. Do this for your glory, Lord. We pray that your message of the gospel would sound forth from people who have an assurance that they never really die. We pray all this and more in the name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at covgraceminifee.org. May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.